Our New Testament lesson, as you know, we talked last week about this relationship roadmap series, how we're going to walk through Ephesians, because I think the, the last part of Ephesians has some really wonderful things to say to us about relationships and families. So I want to read to you this morning um, from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. And we're going to spend the next, you know, probably re really the rest of the summer going through uh, uh, from this point to the, end of, to the end of chapter 6, basically. So if you want to read ahead and look at where we're going, yeah, you, you could spend some time in this part of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 24. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also ought wives to be in everything subject to their husbands. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. No, um, I had a professor of mine in seminary, uh, Memphis Theological, Dr. Mitzi Minor. Love Dr. Minor, but uh, Dr. Minor and I didn't, didn't always agree on everything. Uh, I, I always enjoyed her classes. She made me think, but we would come from different perspectives and different, had different takes on things. I always admired her scholarship and her academic nature. Um, she would have me uh, read, a, read books that, uh, all of us read books that we may not agree with. There was one book in particular that she had us read that I just didn't like at all. And I, I respectfully in my paper would say, well, here's my point of disagreements. And then, of course, she would give me my paper back, and it looked like she had opened up a vein and bled all over it with red ink. Uh, she would rebut my points that I made in my paper. But she always gave me a good grade on the paper because I was fair and I was academic, and she respected my points, even though she didn't agree with them. Uh, she taught me a lot about how to engage with others and with things that we may not agree with how to do it respectfully, how to not lose our position in that, but also respectfully have conversations. And she told me something about Scripture, which has stuck with me through the years and has tried to guide how I preach and how I teach. She said this. She said, Andy, you can't ignore the parts of the Bible that you disagree with. She said, you can't ignore the parts of Scripture that are challenging and that are hard that you have to engage with them. You have to, have, you have to approach them with Christian integrity, with Christian ethics, with good theological reflection, and engage with the challenging and the hard parts of Scripture. You can't just ignore them because they are in God's holy word. They are in the authoritative gift that God gave us, which is Scripture. So you have to engage even the hard parts of Scripture. I'm going to be very transparent with you. Today's passage is one of the hard parts of Scripture that for years I did not want to engage with. And I'm going to be honest why. I'm, the I'm a child of domestic violence. My father murdered my mother. Okay? This passage to me is not a passage that is in a laboratory safe away from actual human conduct and actual human interaction. This isn't theory to me. I have seen, I know, and frankly, I have lived the consequences of bad interpretations of scripture such as this. As a pastor, I have seen this passage 
used as a cudgel, used as a weapon to harm others, to cause pain, to put people in dangerous situations, and frankly, to be used wrongly. Anyone who ever reads this passage and interprets this passage in a way that harms another person, in a way that is used to do violence or hurt to an image bearer, someone made in Christ's image, anyone who uses this passage in such a way is not being true to God's holy word. That is not what this passage is saying. And anyone who uses this passage in such a way to strip someone of their personhood or strip someone of their human autonomy or make them little more than property simply is not reading this passage right, not interpreting it well, and not treating God's holy word with the respect that it deserves. God's God's holy word must be treated with more respect than that. So yes, for years, I have been very cautious and in many ways run away from this passage in some ways. The longer I live, the longer I preach, the more I read scripture, the more I have conversations, the more I've actually now kind of done 180 though. I actually really find a lot that's useful in this passage. And to me, this passage is, really speaks a lot of truth to all of us, wives and husbands, married and single. I think there's a lot in this passage that can amplify and that can help our lives be more grounded in who God wants us to be. But first, let's talk about how do we deal with passages that are hard to understand, that are challenging. Um, One of my favorite understandings of Scripture comes from a British uh, theologian, a British writer by the name of uh, N.T. or Tom Wright. Some of you may have heard of Tom Wright. He wrote a wonderful book a few years back uh, called Surprised by Hope. A wonderful book. He's one of the great apologists of our modern age. Love Tom Wright. Tom Wright, if you're looking for a good guy to read, read some Tom Wright. You will not be disappointed. But he has this analogy of Scripture, which I think is perfect. He says Scripture is to be understood like a symphony. Now, maybe you don't like some classic music. Let's take, maybe, let's take that aside. Scriptures be understood like a Garth Brooks song. Uh, scriptures be understood like a Rolling Stones song. Whatever style of music you like. Like, think of Scripture in that way. But if you look at Scripture like a symphony, what you see, the best way to appreciate or enjoy a symphony is to listen to the piece of music in totality. Listen to it completely. Listen to it and let the sound and the music wash over you and appreciate it fully. And then once you appreciate it fully, then, well, let's take out the woodwinds and listen to the woodwinds. Or let's take out the percussion and listen to the percussion. Once you understand the the piece of music in totality, then the individual parts make more sense. That's how we interpret Scripture. We interpret the challenging parts through the story it's telling. Scripture is a beautiful book. It's a book that is written thousands of years ago, written over a thousand years with dozens of writers, with different books and different genres of literature. But Scripture tells one beautiful overarching story. It's the story of the creation of humanity, Genesis 1 and 2. The story of the fall of humanity, Genesis 3. And then from there to Revelation, it's the story of God's plan of redemption through covenant. Covenant with 
Noah and Abraham and Moses and David. Then the covenant fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And now we as the church live in the new covenant. And then one day all things will be made right in the completion of all things that we see in Revelation. So scripture is this beautiful overarching story of God's plan of covenant. And so the individual parts fit within that greater whole. So an example. Romans 9 through 11 to me, are some of the most challenging parts of the Bible. That's where a lot of our conflict about free will and predestination come into place. And, and I'm going to be very honest. I don't completely understand Romans 9 through 11. I don't. But you know what I do understand? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, that whosoever would believe would not perish, but have eternal life. Understand that. So I'm going to interpret the parts of Scripture that are hard, and that are challenging, I'm going to interpret them through the parts of Scripture that make sense to me and that are easier to understand, like John 3, 16, because I believe that whosoever means whosoever. Now, how does whosoever fit into free will and predestination? I have no clue. I don't know. But I know whosoever. So I'm going to interpret that part through this. So this passage we read here, wives, submit to your husbands. Is this a passage that, that keeps women from having a voice in the marriage? Or is this a, a perspective that keeps women without any authority in the marriage or, or, or anything like that? Let's look at Paul's under other writings. In Scripture, we see Paul reference Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and a wife. And Paul references the church that meets in their home. Okay, in Paul's day, if the church met in your home, you know what that meant? And you were in charge because they meeting in your house. Who's in charge of the church of Priscilla and Aquila? Priscilla and Aquila, the husband and the wife. Paul, equal, Paul references them with equal footing. In Romans... Paul talks of Phoebe, a deacon. Later in Corinthians, he says to women, when you prophesy, cover your head in this way. So we see Paul lifting up women across the whole of Scripture, across all of his writings. So, so a verse that would make them second-class citizens doesn't seem to fit in with the rest of his teaching, correct? It kind of falls out of place when you look at the rest of it. So then... What is Paul trying to teach us here? If that's the case, then what is Paul trying to teach us in this passage? Well, let's go a little bit deeper with it. Y'all know, what, do any of y'all remember, know what the Rosetta, the Rosetta Stone is? The Rosetta Stone was that stone they found that, that uh, helps us interpret all the ancient languages. Because it, it, it's a great translation tool that helps us understand all these ancient languages. The Rosetta Stone for this passage is verse 21. Because verse 21 says this, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. The key to understanding that is that part. This is, we really should not be preaching separately about wives and husbands because you really need to read the passage together. Because it does say this. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Sure does. It says that. It says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. 
How did Christ love the church? He died for the church. So do you see what you see there? The image that Paul is painting is not a role where one side of the marriage is greater than the other, but it's a marriage where both sides mutually submit to one another. So the wife submits to the husband. The husband lays on his life for the wife. It's that mutual submission. Now, we do see within this, each side has their own roles to play in the marriage or parts to play in this marriage. But this is not a, Paul is not establishing a hierarchy for the marriage. He is establishing the roles for the marriage because both sides, both sides of the marriage Submit to one another. Be subject to one another is what we say. Because the reality is all of us, husbands, wives, male, female, married, singled, widowed, divorced, we all submit ourselves to Christ. That's what it's about, ultimately. It's all of us submitting ourselves to Christ. It's BBS week this week, so I was having a con. I, I like to unpack this with couples when I do premarital counseling with them. I talk through a lot of these things. And one of the things I tell couples when we do premarital counseling is this. In every marriage, in every marriage, if, one, if there's one side who's a taker only and one side who's a giver only, one side does all the giving, one side does all the taking, I promise you, friends, I promise you, in time, the giver will resent the taker. It will happen every time. If the giver only gives and the taker only takes, the giver will resent the taker. A marriage is at its best and working as God intended when both sides are giving to the other. When both sides are giving and both sides are mutually submitting to meet the needs of the other, then a marriage is in its sweet spot. And that's when we're truly living out what God tells us to do, when we both are mutually subject to each other. So, so what is Paul talking about here? What is he really talking about? When he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Well, remember, I love to talk about the whole big picture narrative view of Scripture, what we see across the Scripture. We see this order kind of established after um, in, in the creation account. Because remember, God, when he creates Eve, says this. He, see, he sees Adam out there. And uh, he says they, there was no help made, there was no helper for Adam suitable in all of creation. So what does he do? He puts Adam to sleep, takes out a rib bone, creates Eve. And Eve became for Adam a helper, right? Well, there we go. Helpers, uh, you know, uh, an inferior title, right? I mean, her- helpers inferior. That shows that hierarchy there, right? Helpers inferior. Well, but interestingly, Tim Keller in his wonderful book on marriage talks about this. He says that the word that is used there for Eve as a helper is the same word later that God uses for himself. Because after all, God is our very present help, time of trouble. So the word that God is using there for Eve as a helper is the exact same word that God uses later to describe himself in his role in our lives. That yes, the, right, the role of the wife in this is to be the role of that helper. But that helper is not an inferior person in their partnership. Rather, that helper, that helper is, is the glue that holds it together. That helper is the power and the spirit and the one that makes everything possible. Without that helper, the partnership, the marriage, the relationship 
can't stand. Yes, that is the role that, 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 that the wife plays in the marriage. It's not an inferior role, but it's a role of specific purpose that actually makes the entire thing work. Last time I, I, I preached on this subject when I was in Pedal, I preached on a very similar um, series of relationships. And when I got to this passage, I said, okay, I'm not, a, I'm not a wife, but I know one, so I cheated, and I let Holly preach on this subject last time we, I preached on it. So I figured I'd let her do, it, do that. But um, when I look at my wife, she is that for our marriage. Holly is that for marriage. She's, like, she's that for our family. I mean, I couldn't have made it this far in my life without her. She is that glue that holds our family together. She truly is. Y'all, if there were times when the Spirit of God and Holly Sauter would have let me, I'd have been gone. There were times when she believed in me, many times when she believed in me that I did not believe in myself. And she has been for me and for our family that glue, that power, that spirit, that heart that has helped our marriage last, that's helped our marriage be somewhat healthy. Now, listen, there have been times, yes, as the husband, when I have made decisions. I, I tell this story. Um, we, were, um, we, were, uh, we moved from Ripley to Petal. That was an unexpected move. We weren't expecting to move. We were expecting to stay in Ripley. And we got a call, and we had two months to buy a house in Ripley. I mean, I'm sorry, buy a house in Petal and move our entire life down there. We'd never owned a house before. We'd never moved that quick before, nothing. And it was awful. It was all, now we were excited to get to South Mississippi because we're from South Mississippi, but we had to move five hours away in eight weeks with no house to buy, to find. So every day she'd get off work and she would go home and she'd go on the computer and she'd look for houses in our price range. And there's one day I come home and I walk in and she's just crying. She looks at me and says, this move is not of God. I said, baby, I know it feels that way. This is terrifying. But we have agreed to be in the United Methodist Church. This is the path that our church operates. This is a challenge. Yes, it's going to be hard. But we believe that God has called us to this even though it's hard. And it was hard. But you know what? It was the right decision. And in this hard decision we made in this challenging time, we did it together. We did it together. There's many times in ministry I looked at her and said, you still with me? Because if you're with me, I'm okay. She's the glue, the heart. She's the helper that makes all this possible. So yes, wives, submit to your husbands. But they are the glue and the help that makes the Christian marriage healthy the way God intended it, and the way God wants it. Because, see, here's the thing. If we see in verse 21 that it's a mutual submission, you know what we see when we look at the whole of Scripture? We see this. In the culture we live in, submission is not always a virtue. We live in an age where we want to do what we want to do and how we want to do it. We don't want to submit. We don't want to submit. We want to do, do it our way. We want to do it the way we want it to do, and we want to be in charge. When we look at the whole of Scripture, you know what we see? Read Philippians 2. Where in Jesus we see this. Though Jesus Christ was the very nature of God, you know what he did? He humbled himself. 
and sought to become a servant. Jesus Christ, though he was the very nature of God, submitted himself to the will of the Father. What did Jesus do in the garden before the cross? He prayed, Lord, take this cup from me, but not my will, but thine. Even though Jesus Christ was the very nature and being of the Father, we talked last week, he humbled himself and Jesus Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father. Y'all, that's the thing about it is, in our marriage, in your marriage, the husband's not in charge, the wife is not in charge, Jesus is in charge. Jesus is in charge. And if any one of us trumpets ourselves in terms of being in charge of it, then we've got it wrong. I'm not in charge of my life. If I'm in charge of my life, I'm doing it wrong. Married, singled, widowed, divorced, Jesus Christ is Lord. In every relationship, husband, wife, friend, co-worker, parent, child, we should submit all these relationships to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So yes, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. We mutually submit to each other because we mutually submit to Jesus. And I think that's what Paul is trying to tell us here. That we each have our individual roles to play in a healthy, godly, Christian marriage. But ultimately, the main role we all have to play in all of our lives is to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So be faithful in your marriages. Be faithful in your relationships. Be faithful in your love for one another and for your mutual submission to one another. Be faithful in the roles that you have to play in your marriage and honor those. But understand that all of these relationships ultimately point us to the great relationships, which is our relationship with Jesus Christ. When we submit ourselves to him as our Lord and follow in the path that he has for us. So yes, this is a passage that for years was challenging to me and I struggled with. And I'm, saying, I'm not saying I got it right. But I am saying when we see this passage in the overarching beauty of the marriage that Christ has for the church, in the relationship that Christ has with us, how we submit our lives to Christ, we see that this submission here is that Christian path of freedom. So as wives submit to their husbands, husbands love their wives as Christ of the church, we all submit to Jesus. We see in this, this beautiful picture of what God has for our marriages, but most of all, what God has for the world. Because y'all, my greatest calling in life is not to be your pastor. I love being your preacher, it's fun. My greatest calling in life, though, is to follow Jesus. My second greatest calling in life is to be the husband to Holly. My third greatest calling is to be the father to Sarah and Thomas. That's my calling in life, y'all. Being a pastor's after that. When we do that, when we live in that way, when we honor Christ in that way, like Mariana's children's message this morning, we make a difference in one life, and that one life leads to another and to another, and to another, and to another. And before we know it, we've changed the world. So let's honor Christ in our marriages. Let's live out this beautiful command today. Let's honor Christ in our relationships. And when we do that, y'all, I truly believe 
that we can change the world for Jesus. Let's pray.